the Truth News Network. A president lies. You know he's lying. He knows you know he's lying. And you know he knows you know. So what do you do? Hmm? You might want to figure it out. How about someone telling the truth? We can help you with that. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And the man you can rely on is Dan Newman. You remember when you first had your kids and your first child just growing up, maybe gets to four, maybe five, you know, when they they get to the age where they understand there are some things that uh, when they get caught doing, they're really going to get in trouble. And so what do they do when they get caught? They're going to lie to us. They're going to tell us, no, I didn't do that. I didn't break that window. And they know that we know they're lying. <laughs> you, were, you were one of those kids. Yeah, it happened to me too. I think we all go through that. But when you become adults, don't you think we should grow out of that tendency? <laughs> I mean, come on now. We, we live in a world that's so full of falsehoods anyway. Why don't we bring more and more and more unnecessarily to our lives. But that gummit, we're humans and we do it. Sadly, we do it over and over and over again. Well, how are you doing this morning? Getting so close to another weekend, first December weekend. You got your Christmas lights up, got the decorations up, got the tree up. I'll bet you don't have it all up yet. Most people don't. And to be honest with you, it becomes a job. And it's got to be better than the people next door, the people across the street, and they're going to walk in front of your house and look at it and shake their heads and say, ah, that's ugly, that's horrid, that's terrible. We're Americans, folks. We're Americans. The only way we decide and determine if we're doing good about anything, pretty much, it's we got to compare it with somebody else. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just do the things in our hearts that we feel we need to do and want to do that have nothing to do with anybody else and we'd be fine with it and wouldn't give a rip about what anybody else thinks. In some areas of my life, I got to be honest with you, I got there a long time ago. Hey, it's me. If you like me, great. If you don't, great. I can't deal with that. I'm who I am and you are too. Well, not going to give you a social message today. Not going to preach you a sermon. We're going to look at some facts. We're going to look at some circumstances and talk about some upcoming things. What are we going to get in today? Well, we're going to look at the midterms that are just ahead. There's some fallout that's coming. And I think every few days we see another page get turned and who are going to be involved in those fallouts at the midterm elections. But it looks like some faces are going to change. We'll talk about that in a moment. But let's talk about what's happening in the Joe Biden world right now. Listen to what we're going to visit about. It's about Joe Biden. But it's not just about Joe Biden. It's about where he came from. You know, it's fascinating how those who are elected to various offices in D.C., how they act when down the road, when they run for re-election, and they either forget about what happened in their previous campaigns and their previous times in office, or they hope that American voters forget about their previous accomplishments and their leadership roles. And of course, 
if we're talking about Democrats, they never accept responsibility for any of the bad things that happen on their watch, current or past, by the way. But they certainly trumpet the good things that happen while they're in office. And in in large part, they take accountability for every good thing. No accountability for any bad thing. Joe Biden, folks, is no different. Remember, never forget this. This is not Joe's first rodeo. He was Barack's go-to cowboy for everything to do with our economy, including employment. Have you forgotten 2009 when Joe was tasked by Barack to tackle that 9% unemployment rate? On election day in 2010, Biden's first midterm, Despite his claims of progress over the summer, the country would see its 19th consecutive month of 9% unemployment or more. That's a bunch of unemployed people. Now, Biden, on behalf of Obama, had stumped all across the nation that entire summer trying to convince Americans who simply could not find work that everything is going to be okay. Barack and I are working with major corporations that all promise they're opening up employment opportunities on major levels during the next few months. The 9% plus unemployment number stayed in place for two and a half years. Obama was elected to fix the economy. But in November of 2010, that midterm time, People simply had not seen the success that Biden had peddled in the months leading up to that election. Now today, folks, it's eerily similar. Biden faces a similar situation today, but he's operating from a much weaker political position than did Obama. Obama won the presidency, remember, by over seven points, with Democrats picking up eight Senate seats and 21 House seats. All that happened at the same time. Still, Obama and Biden made the mistake that so many political leaders make. They believed, just as Democrat leaders believe today, that everybody in their party gave them a mandate for every policy espoused during the election and all deserved immediate and unquestioning passage. When presidents decide to ignore the voters' top priorities in favor of delivering their party base's top priorities, they seem to always pay the price in their first midterm election. For Bill Clinton, remember, his Achilles heel, like Obama's, was a push for health care instead of the economy. For Donald Trump, it was focusing his message on immigration in 2018 instead of a growing economy in his policies that were behind that. Biden didn't listen to the electorate back then. He's not listening today. Just like Obama, who decided to put health care first and the economy second, contrary to the public's priorities, Biden has put Bill Back Better first, only deviating when a crisis shows up, like the Delta and now the Omicron COVID variants. The economy comes in a distant third. It seems that Joe, just like Barack, ignores 
that famous line spoken by Clinton's buddy James Carville during Bill's re-election bid with impeachment clouds overhead. Remember this line? It's the economy, stupid. Political leaders have to address the priorities of the electorate, period. It's becoming increasingly clear that Biden's not just off message with his Build Back Better plan, he's off policy priorities, and it's showing up in his numbers. Overall, his job rating in one November poll was 42% approved to 47% disapproved. There's a poll out today that says his approval rating has dropped even deeper at 36%. In November, his disapproval rating was slightly better than other polls, but it was still poor. On the issue of the economy, Biden was down 8 points, 41% approved, 49 disapproved. But that pales in comparison to his job rating on inflation and an abysmal 36%, 52% disapprove. On all three counts, he's not even close to having a majority support for what he's trying to do today. When you look at Biden's numbers through the lens of the 2022 midterms coming up, however, the forecast for Democrats' prospects is looking kind of bleak. On what will likely be top issues next November, they're underwater on every key component of people's number one issue, the economy. Respondents to that poll said Republicans would do a better job than Democrats at handling the economy, 46 to 39 percent. Gas prices, 47 to 35 percent. Inflation, 46 to 34 percent. And the supply chain, 43 to 36 percent. It's very obvious the electorate is losing confidence in Biden, his team, and the Democrat Party to deliver what they promised. But with an administration that appears not just incapable and out of touch, but narcissistically don't even care, with so many former Obama administration officials back in positions of power, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised to see this administration zero in on trillion-dollar social spending programs rather than offering solutions to the cost-of-living issues that face us all. Everybody is facing it. These Obama alums are clearly just as out of touch with Americans' priorities as they were in the early years of the Obama presidency. He and Joe's first term. In another poll, voters were asked, which is the more important priority for the country? 21% picked passing Biden's Build Back Better plan. 68% chose, quote, dealing with inflation and scarcity of goods caused by supply chain problems. Independents were even more emphatic, favoring the second option, 72% to 12%. These results ought to be sobering for the Biden White House and the Congressional Democratic leadership intent on putting the passage of Build Back Better ahead of a kitchen table agenda that would address issues that people care most about. Let me give you an example. In fact, let's do lit. Let's let's listen to Joe Biden yesterday talk about the horrors in the supply chain crisis. You know, the thing that has all these ships in the ports waiting to get in because the supply chain is broken. 
Here's President Biden. Sorry to keep you waiting. We've made incredible progress. If you watch the news recently, you might think the shelves in all our stores are empty across the country. That uh, parents won't be able to get presents for their children on holidays this holiday season. But here's the deal. For the vast majority of the country, that's not what's happening. Now, I can't promise that every person will get every gift they want on time. Only Santa Claus can keep that promise. But there are items every year that sell out that are hard to find. Some of you moms and dads may remember Cabbage Patch Kids back in the 80s or Beanie Babies in the 90s or other toys that have run out at Christmas time in past years when there was no supply chain problem. There's no supply chain problem. There's no problem there. You need to forget about all that hoo-ha. And what you need to do is just listen to me and pass the Build Back Better bill. And by the way, it wasn't Cabbage Patch Kids. It was Cabin Patch Dolls. Joe Biden, folks, was elected to do three things. Win the war against COVID-19, which he promised his words, I will kill COVID-19. Second, bring the economy back and unify the country. And so far, folks, he's 0 for 3. Where I live, that's a strikeout. What this administration doesn't seem to get is that it's not enough for a policy to be popular. It's got to be a priority. It's not that child care or climate doesn't matter, but if a working mom has a problem and can't pay for groceries to feed her child for the week and for gas to get her to daycare, climate change policies that drive up energy and food prices just don't take care of her needs. Results matter. And that's all that matters to most Americans. After declaring victory over the coronavirus in July, Biden had to retreat first with the Delta variant, now with Omicron, leaving the country wondering whether he understands how to beat it, which he promised he was going to do and he hadn't done yet. So far this year, with a whole month to go, more Americans have died from COVID than did the previous year during the height of our pandemic under President Trump. On top of that, we're more divided than ever. Inflation and energy prices and costs are through the roof and crushing the average family budget. The political litmus test for successful policies isn't whether they appeal to the base The real question Biden and his party got to ask, does what we're proposing meet the most important needs of the majority of Americans? If they don't get the answer right, 2022 could be 2010 all over again. So there's a story out on ABC News. Came out yesterday after, I'm sorry, looking back, at 2010, the morning after Obama and Biden's midterm bloodbath. Here's a couple of sentences from the story. Quote, The era of President Obama's wide-sweeping progressive legislative agenda likely ended last night with the Republican conquest of the House, forcing the President to reach out to the presumptive Republican leadership in this morning's small hours to offer an olive branch. 
obviously his legislative presidency is over. That was Larry Sabato Jr., director of the University of Virginia Center for Politics. He couldn't get a Mother's Day resolution passed in the House at this point. The GOP margin is just too large, and there are so many strong opponents. Even though Joe Biden has ABC and every other one of the legacy media outlets in his pocket, no question about it, unless things change dramatically during the next six months, not waiting till next November, folks, it's got to start before June is over. Instead of doing all that, ABC may be repeating this story about President Biden's mistakes. And while that happens, Republicans will begin the assassination of much of the legislation implemented by Biden and Democrats that formerly served in a House and in a Senate where Democrats had majorities. 2022 right now ain't looking too good for Democrats. And you know why? We've kept we've kept the calculator out, adding up the number of Democrats that are, are not even going to try to run for re-election to their positions in the House of Representatives. More people are withdrawing. Announcements are piling up from vulnerable Democrats telling us they're leaving their current seats to either retire or seek a different office, maybe go across to the Senate or try to. So this hurts, of course, the Democratic majority in the House, but it hurts Pelosi's chances of remaining in the majority and her chance to remain as Speaker of the House. Republicans only need to net five seats to get the House majority and retire Pelosi after the midterms. Not only have 19 Democrats decided to quit on the House officially, but three committee chairs will also be leaving, most of which are in battleground districts. This gives Republicans a chance to gain another seat, and strong Republican candidates are already running in the majority, if not all, of those 19 districts. The remaining vulnerable Democrats will have to face tough re-election battles across the country, and in most cases, they got a campaign in areas that have more than likely been redistricted because of the census. Also, Democrats during the last 11 months in office have been siding with Joe Biden on many key partisan issues while his approval numbers have tanked. What do you think it's doing to their credibility? Yesterday, vulnerable Democrat and House Committee or Transportation and Infrastructure Committee Chairman Representative Peter DeFazio, who's a Democrat from Oregon, who has been a part of the ongoing infrastructure talks, announced he's going to be the 19th Democrat to not run for re-election. Hmm. DeFazio's departure as a chair cast more doubt on the Democrats' chances of keeping the House Courtney Perella, a spokeswoman for the National Republican Congressional Committee, said, committee chairs don't retire unless they know their majority is gone. DeFazio joined the 10 Democrats who already announced they're retiring from public office in the current term. Representatives Philemon Vila of Texas and Kirkpatrick of Arizona, former Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee Chairwoman Cherie Bustos, She's not going to run for re-election. 
scandal-ridden Representative Ron Kine, Democrat of Wisconsin. He's retiring in August. House Budget Committee Chair John Yarmouth of Kentucky announced along with longtime reps David Price and Mike Doyle, they're not going to be looking for re-election in October. Representative Jackie Spire, Democrat of California, along with longtime rep G.K. Butterfield and House Science, Space, and Technology Committee Chairwoman Eddie Bernice Johnson, they're not going to run. And eight Democrats said, eh, we're leaving the House, we're going to try to run for another office. Tim Ryan, Democrat in Ohio, he's running for the Senate for that seat that's being vacated by retiring Republican Rob Portman. Charles Crist used to be the governor in Florida. He's in the House of Representatives now. He announced he's running for governor again. Val Demings, Democrat of Florida, she's announced she's going to run for a Senate seat, running against Marco Rubio. Connor Lamb of Pennsylvania, he announced in August he's going to run for the Senate And uh, that's the seat that's held currently by Pat Toomey. Karen Bass of California. In September, she declared her candidacy for the Los Angeles mayor's race. Representative Anthony Brown of Maryland announced he would run for Maryland Attorney General. Peter Welch of Vermont announced in November he's going to run for the Senate seat in his home state, being vacated by Senator Patrick Leahy. Tom Suozzi, Democrat of New York, announced he's leaving Congress and he's going to run for New York governor. And folks, the rumors are flying. More Democrats are declaring. We're getting out of Dodge and it's expected it's going to be a bloodbath in next November's midterm elections. Congressional Leadership Fund Communications Director Calvin Moore said yesterday that House Democrats' retirement crisis is a five-alarm emergency that's growing worse every day. Democrats are dropping like flies because they know they're going to get crushed in November. I could go on and on and name all kinds of other people that are really struggling to figure out what to do regarding remaining in Congress, even people out there that look like they would be shoe-ins in the midterm elections to run against some vulnerable Republicans around the nation. They're thinking twice and three times about entering the election. Isn't it interesting, folks, that this is even happening? And you know why it's happening. It's happening for the same reasons this operation, Truth News Network, and TNN Live over the last year plus even exist. It's because so many politicians, they just gladly swallowed the poison pill of Washington, D.C. What's the poison pill? What's in it? It's whatever the stuff is that you put in it that makes you forget about being able to be open-minded and honest. And that pill just automatically turns your mind to be consumed 24-7 for only what's good for you personally, politically, and the Democrat Party causes. Everybody forgets who put you there. Who put you there? Who put Joe Biden in the White House? And you heard the president himself say just minutes ago from a speech he gave yesterday about the supply chain crisis. Folks, I don't know where he shops. He said the shelves aren't empty. 
I walked into a grocery store, a big grocery uh, grocery store chain store, 30 days ago. This is at the beginning of the at least identified supply chain crisis. And went down the bread aisle. There was no bread. Just to see what was going on, I walked around other aisles, and there was stuff on the shelves, but nothing like I've seen in my lifetime. There was one can of something here, and six or seven feet away was the next can of something. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. And this president said, nobody's going to get everything that they want for Christmas. There's going to be some things that aren't going to happen. I can't make it happen. Santa Claus is the only one that can. And the last words of that soundbite, did you hear the, the, the last words of it? Let me replay just the last words of this president. Listen carefully for yourself to hear how he ended that speech. At Christmas time in past years when there was no supply chain problem. There's no supply chain problem. And he almost said it in a whisper. There's no supply chain problem. Hey, we can't drill. We can't truck our oil because there aren't workers. (laughs) Because of the lockdowns that he did and that were done in New York and California by those hard left governors, dock workers weren't working. So all these ships coming with all the stuff on it from China, from Asia, from the Middle East, they couldn't bring our stuff to us, and we couldn't get our energy that we were at one time exporting to countries all over the world. Joe Biden created the supply chain crisis. You'll never hear that be acknowledged by anybody in the United States Congress and certainly not anybody in the Democrat Party in leadership. It's not going to happen. It's like many families. In fact, there's a segment of my family that I just had to, I fought it for years. And then I realized that's, this is the, uh, the atmosphere in our family. Everybody operates here. If you don't talk about something and just deny that it's there, Might as well not be there. Doesn't matter. That's what's happening right now in this administration. And guess who they're ignoring? They're ignoring you and me. Anybody that wants smaller government, more power to the people. And oh, by the way, that justice and freedom for all thing. And also enforcement of the rule of law. Those are old has-been things. There's no need for us to do that anymore. Man, we've got some big-time stuff to talk to you about. Quickly, go grab another cup of coffee. Back in a minute. What does it feel like to drive a cloud? What does it feel like to steer a river? What does it smell like to smell a mountain? At Jubilee, we're committed to letting you do the impossible. And now we've succeeded in letting you drive the undrivable. The Jubilee Dementia. The car engineers said shouldn't be made. Test drive one today and experience what scientists for decades claimed was beyond the realm of safe driving. Jubilee. Be reasonable or be fast. Welcome aboard Pizza Hut, where our legendary pan and stuffed crust pizzas will fly you to a world of flavors. 
Taste an all-American pizza sauce, juicy pepperoni, and farm-fresh mozzarella to discover America's mega pepperoni. Or explore the creamy pesto sauce. Chicken and mushroom is in the French creamy chicken mushroom. Fly far above the rest in taste and variety with five new pizzas. And thank you for flying Pizza Hut. ABC Tonight, it's all about big cash. Here we go! And big crash. <laughs> On the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. Give me the money! To win it all. The big winner of $1 million. Then, host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Sweep. On your carts! Get set! Yeah! And we're going to need a cleanup on every aisle. You are on fire! It all starts tonight, 8, 7 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. Weapons-grade stupidity. Speaking of weapons and stupidity, how about $82 billion worth of weapons? Just, uh, oh, we don't have room on the plane. We're just going to leave all that over here in Afghanistan. And, you know, it's just going to sit there. And pretty much the Afghan government, they probably need all this stuff anyway. The problem is the Afghan government, when we left, was no longer the Afghan government. It's the Taliban. And, of course, that ISIS-K branch. And then, of course, they used some of the explosive materials that were left there by this president at Bagram Air Base. They used that for the suicide bomb that killed 13 Americans and a host of Afghani people. But don't think about that. Don't think about that. That was a mistake that somebody made, and we didn't intend for it to happen. It just happened. Only to a week later, you know, let me just reference something real quickly here, and we're going to move on. The talking point for, gosh, a decade, maybe two decades about the Second Amendment. The big talking point is these weapons of war. You know, these AR-15s and AK-47s, they're weapons of war. They're fully automatic weapons that you hear. It's not true. It never has been true. An AK-47, the standard version, and the AR-15, the standard version, you pull the trigger and one bullet fires. You have to release the trigger, let another bullet engage in the chamber, then pull the trigger again. Those are single-shot weapons. And just because the AR-15 is a long rifle and it looks similar to its fully automatic counterpart that is used only exclusively by the police department and people in our military. That's it. They say that is what an AR-15 is, but it's not. It's not even called an AR-15, even though the automatic version looks just like the AR-15. It's an M4. That's what it's called. And thousands of those M4s were left by Biden in Afghanistan. And guess what happened two weeks after we finally got our most of our people out? You could walk down the streets in Kabul and you could buy an M4. You could walk into pawn shops in Kabul and buy an M4 and guess where they came from? Uncle Joe left this. Santa Claus came to Bagram Air Base and he left us 80 plus billion dollars worth of military equipment. That's who we elected president. 
That's their story, and they're sticking to it. Folks, let me tell you what's going on right now. We are watching the weaponization, the political weaponization of a virus. We felt like that was maybe part of what was going on. But there's no question anymore. And every day now, more and more factual information, more and more scientific data is coming out to show we've been served a big plate of hooey. A leading cardiologist in the UK yesterday has warned that a colleague of his is finding it's impossible to get research published anywhere in the world because it definitively links COVID vaccines to a massive increase in heart attacks. Now, they've told us some of the adverse reactions are they being the mainstream media as they were approved to do so. You know, you can only talk about this thing and only this other thing. Don't talk about any of this stuff. We knew that there were some heart issues. Remember pericarditis? That's inflammation in the heart. Appearing yesterday on GB News, which is a a news media in Europe, Dr. Rasim Malhotra related how he was contacted by a researcher from a prestigious British institution, didn't name it, the most prestigious British institution. What would that be? Hmm. Anyway, this colleague said that he had found concrete links between inflammation of coronary arteries and the mRNA vaccines. Dr. Malhotra added that his colleague told him the institution decided it would be better not to publish the results, fearing, listen to this, it would lose its research funding. You know, we can't tell the truth because they're paying for us to hide the truth. Referring to UK government health data showing there has been a substantial increase in the number of cardiology-related deaths recently there, Malhotra noted, somebody from a very prestigious British institution, a cardiology department researcher and a whistleblower, contacted me to say that researchers in his department had found something similar within the coronary arteries linked to the vaccines. He continued, they had a meeting, and these researchers at the moment have decided they're not going to publish their findings because they're concerned about losing research money from the drug industry. Dr. Melhatra also referred to a recent paper written by renowned cardiologist Stephen Gundry that was published. His research found that COVID vaccines dramatically increase inflammation on the endothelium and T-cell infiltration of heart muscle. Knowing this information is very concerning, he said, in addition to Gundry's paper and also anecdotal evidence being told by colleagues that younger and younger and younger and younger people coming in with heart attacks. The doctor added, we know since July there's been about 10,000 excess non-COVID deaths and most of those, or a significant portion of those, have been driven by circulatory disease or in other words, heart attack and stroke. Did you get that? A previously 
released study conducted by the University of California found that teenage boys are six times more likely to suffer from heart problems, including heart attacks caused by the COVID-19 vaccine, then will be hospitalized as a result of COVID-19 itself. Meanwhile, there's been an unprecedented rise in sports stars and other high-profile athletes collapsing with apparent heart problems, leading to calls for a thorough investigation into what could be causing it. Does that blow your mind? Well, let me add another layer of blowing your mind on it. Patients who had severe COVID-19, we are told now, as of yesterday, those patients who had severe COVID-19 are twice at risk of dying over the following year compared to patients who had a mild or a moderate case or individuals not infected by the novel coronavirus, period. These alarming findings suggest the increased risk of dying was greater for patients under the age of 65. Wait a minute, folks. We are leaving that demographic where if you're 64 or younger, we've been told, oh, you're not going to have any problems. You're going to be fine. Now they're saying the study is telling us that if you're under 65, you're more likely your risk of dying is more likely than people above 65. That's according to a report that was published in Frontiers in Medicine. It came from researchers in the University of Florida. They stated the risk of 12-month mortality among adults under 65 who end up being hospitalized with COVID is increased by 233% over those who are COVID-19 negative. The study also found that common complications of COVID included respiratory failure, clotting disorders were responsible in only 20% of the severe COVID patients' deaths. These findings suggest that patients who survive severe cases of COVID are left vulnerable to other illnesses due to an overall deterioration in their health. The researchers defined a severe COVID-19 case as a patient who needed to be hospitalized within the first 30 days of testing positive. Since we know now that there is a substantial risk of dying from what would likely be considered to be an unrecognized complication of COVID, we need to be even more vigilant in decreasing serious severe episodes of COVID-19. That's Professor Arch Manis of the University of Florida, who's the lead author of that study. The investigators found that individuals who had mild or moderate COVID cases did not have an increased chance of death compared with those who were not infected with COVID at all. The authors stated in their report that this suggests the importance of reducing the chances of developing a severe case through vaccination. Taking your chances and hoping for successful treatment in the hospital doesn't convey the full picture of the impact of COVID-19. This is Dr. Manis saying this. Our recommendation at this point is to use preventive measures such as vaccination, 
to prevent severe episodes of COVID. The Florida researchers looked at electronic health records of almost 14,000 patients within the University of Florida Health System who took a polymerase chain reaction, that's PCR test, for COVID between January 1 of 2020 and 6.30, July 30th last year. Patients were at least 18 years and older. Of those included in that study, 178 patients were defined as having severe cases of COVID. 246 had mild or moderate cases. The rest of the group tested negative. The researchers tracked the outcomes of all of those people over a 12-month period. The authors pointed out that since nearly 80% of the downstream deaths among patients with severe COVID were from causes not related to common complications from a coronavirus infection, like respiratory or cardiovascular events, findings show that COVID-19 has a significant insult both biologically and physiology. What does that mean? Well, it's clear that prevention of bad COVID infections is the most effective way to decrease the risk of death following COVID. Mitigation strategies like masking, physical distancing, improved ventilation are useful to prevent the infection. But folks, isn't that useful for any transmissible disease? Dr. Aaron Glatt is a spokesperson for the Infectious Diseases Society of America. He was not connected to the study, but he commented about the findings. Quote, COVID-19 has many potential adverse effects on different systems in the body. We don't fully understand all of the ramifications. Long COVID and persistent illness may lead in some to severe consequences. He's also a chief of infectious diseases at Mount Sinai, South, Nassau, and New York. People need to understand that this is a very serious illness, even if you survive it. And that's why we strongly advocate that people get vaccinated and at the appropriate time, get a booster. Get a booster. Now we're going to move into the vaccination holocaust going on right now in just a moment. But let me tell you this. I'm going to point something out. Let's go down. Let's let's get out of ground floor level. And let's go up to the 10,000 foot level and look at the landscape of our nation today. When did COVID start? When did we first hear about it? The end of January in 2020. That's when it we really realized there's something going on. Okay. We have the greatest researchers on the earth. We have the greatest doctors. We have the greatest nurses. We have the best healthcare system in the world, at least we're told. Let me ask you this. How is it that we are here all of last year? Let's say instead of 12 months, it was 11 months. We'll just say at the end, of, well, we'll say February 1st. So we had 11 months last year. Uh, We've had 11 months this year, 22 months. We're into December. We're approaching 23 months. In other words, in January, we'll be at two years into this thing. How little is the number of facts about everything to do with this virus almost two years later? We don't have them. 
We have mountains of speculation and even greater mountains of opinions about everything to do with COVID-19, including we haven't even resolved where it started, where it came from. And all we do is make name-calling the capital crime. (laughs) Today, they are still griping about former President Trump calling COVID-19 the China virus. And the only reason he did that was because he's racist, he's a xenophobe, he's a narcissist. All of those things rolled in name-calling. What do they think about the naming of the Asian flu? How about the Hong Kong flu? How about the Spanish flu? Nobody thinks anything about that. Did anybody that calls them that today, the Spanish flu? I read a story yesterday published in a major magazine, and it called the 1918 pandemic of that flu that we had, it called it the Spanish flu. We're, we're still in the name-calling and finger-pointing, but nobody wants to realize that the experts on the backside of this, starting at the top, Dr. Fauci, they're not giving us answers. They're not giving us explanation. They're not giving us facts. They're not giving us realistic things that we must do and the things we must do. They tell us follow the science all the time. Why are all the things they're telling us not based in science? Oh, I get it. I understand. I heard this in my ears. I said that. What did I hear in my ear? Anthony Fauci saying what he said Sunday on television. I'm the science. I represent science. So what I say is science. And folks, thousands of people in Washington, D.C. that run our government, run our nation, they listen to that drivel and they accept it for one reason and one reason only. Not because it's factual, but because they bought in that the leader of the bureaucratic health care sector of our world well, maybe not the world, maybe just here. Dr. Anthony Fauci says something is so. We've published ad nauseum numbers of things that he has told us from the beginning, standing at the podium in the White House in the Trump administration, talking about all things COVID. One lie, most gross rep- representation after another. Nobody calls him out. Rand Paul calls him out constantly in Senate hearings. And Fauci looks at Rand Paul, the senator from Kentucky, who's a doctor, and calls him a liar. When it's documented again and again, Fauci lies. He never apologizes. He never takes accountability for any of the wrong things that he tells us, many of which have resulted in people acting on his truths have ended up six feet under. There's no accountability for that. He's still the highest paid person in our federal government. I just cannot in my mind. I can't understand it. I can't find any way to reconciliate, to reconcile that. It's just impossible to do. And in fact, instead of our leaders in the U.S. Congress, instead of them taking the bull by the horns and getting together and really, really digging through the muck, finding the facts, 
and implementing the the policies and the procedures and the information that are reliable and proven to be factual, instead of doing that and presenting that to the American people, they're outsourcing everything. They're concentrating on dollars and cents and legislation that can make them look good and keep them in office because they're pandering to a little bitty segment of their base. And it gets worse. Listen to this. 80 House Republicans, Republicans, 80 Republicans voted with Democrats Tuesday to pass what's called the Immunization Infrastructure Modernization Act. If it's passed by the Senate, signed into law, it's going to fund a federal vaccination database. The bill is called H.R. 550. In it, the government would provide $400 million in taxpayer funds to fund immunization system data modernization and expansion, which is a system otherwise defined as, quote, a confidential population-based computerized database that records, records immunization doses administered by any healthcare provider to anybody within the geographic area covered by that database. The language in it specifically outlines an expansion of CDC and public health department capabilities. And it gives states and local health departments permission, as well as public and private health care providers, to share health data with the federal government. In a statement yesterday, the bill's main sponsor, Democrat Representative Ann Custer of New Hampshire, said the system would be used to remind patients when they're due for a recommended vaccine and identify areas with low vaccination rates to ensure equitable distribution of vaccines. There were even four Republicans that co-sponsored the bill. Larry Buckshawn, a Republican from Indiana, James Baird from Indiana, David McKinley from West Virginia, and Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania. And of course, not one Democrat voted against the bill. A Republican from Illinois, Representative Mary Miller. She was one of the 130 Republicans to vote no, by the way. She said that the legislation would enable the federal government to track unvaxxed Americans who in her words, quote, will be targeted and forced to comply with Biden's crazy global vax vision. These systems, she said, are designed to allow for the sharing of our crucial health care information and the maintenance of records. Do we really trust the government to protect our medical records, she said? The bill's author even bragged in her press release that these systems are going to help the government remind patients when they're due for a recommended vaccine and identify areas with low vax rates to ensure equitable distribution of vaccines. This was clearly a legislative tool to enforce vaccine mandates and force their Orwellian rules onto this this group of people who do not comply. Now let me put this into English and just dumb it down. This is what I had to do when I read this. 
And it shocked me because I, I come from a career in healthcare. I come from a, a career in a company that I owned and operated for 28 years, and we handled the healthcare records in the hundreds of thousands, maybe in the millions. For the, for the patients of our clients, healthcare institutions, hospitals, clinics, surgery centers, emergency transport, I mean just top to bottom in the healthcare industry. We, we worked with all of it. And every day we dealt with patients and we dealt with patient records. What this is designed to do, if it is implemented, and listen closely to what I'm going to tell you this next sentence. There is no way, no way a system like this in a federal operation is going to be kept locked down so that the quote-unquote bad people can access the records that are within it. It's going to be impossible. If you've got a computer, if you've got the internet, if you have any way to access and get inside a computer anywhere on planet Earth, it's going to be hacked. And that data, that information is going to be shared with whoever hacks it. They're going to be able to share it with whoever they want. Another Republican, Byron Donalds, you may have seen him. He's he's an African-American man. He's a lightning rod. I love him. A young guy. He's serving his first term, just got elected. He's one of those that voted no on the bill. And he said the Democrats' habitual pattern of reckless and wasteful spending, the congressman said the legislation only serves to expand the power of the federal government and trample on our individual rights. This legislation, he said, would unnecessarily appropriate millions of our money, our dollars, intended to expand bureaucracy in Washington, a database solely created to record and collect confidential vaccination information of Americans across the board, explicitly encroaches upon individuals' fundamental right to medical privacy. And it's not just fundamental right, folks. It's codified in law. 1986, the Balanced Budget Amendment. You probably did not know this, but you've heard this term, HIPAA. HIPAA. HIPAA is just one of those add-in sections to another bill that was voted, approved, and signed into law, and it gave patients the sole right to determine who can look at and see anything or talk to anybody about our personal health care records. It's all about Uncle Sam. It's all about Big Brother gaining access to everything they could possibly need about us. Do you think they're going to stop with whatever this file is that's being created, that's put in this database on every American, do you think it's going to stop at healthcare information? No, it's going to contain your political party affiliation, your voter registration. It's going to contain all of your personal financial information, bank account information. The IRS will have access to it. Everything about you is going to be on the on the web, and anybody that can hack is going to be able to access it. I can't imagine allowing that to happen. And yet a bunch of Republicans voted with Democrats 
to set this whole thing up and put it into operation. I can't fathom that ever happening. Healthcare records are really a big problem. You go to the doctor and you have to fill forms out, the same forms you filled out last time and the time before every time. Why can't we just put it on the internet? You know why. People like me are fighting it. I think maybe better put it on a memory stick that you carry around and nobody can access it until you let them look at it when you're at the doctor's office. This other thing, folks, it's horrible. Want to get in touch with Dan? Go to truthnewsnet.org. More truth after this. Enrique Santos for Taco Bell. The toasted cheddar chalupa from Taco Bell is back, and I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. Did they really toast six-month-old aged cheddar right onto a delicious flaky chalupa shell again? Yes, they did. But now it's even tastier. It comes with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink, all in a $5 box. That's right, all that for just a little cheddar. But don't forget, it's back for a limited time. The $5 toasted cheddar chalupa box, only at Taco Bell. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Left versus right. Republican versus Democrat. Conservative versus liberal. Which side do you take? The side of the truth on TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. The Truth News Network. Why don't we just do away with political parties? Why do we have to take sides on everything? Why can't we just be Americans? Yeah, I get it. The Constitution is out there and it gives us all equal rights to think, to say, um, to not say whatever it is that we want, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, those Ten Amendments, I don't want to diminish them in any way. And, of course, that gets gets into the uh, somebody having the right to disagree with me when I disagree with them. That's a constitutional right. But I guarantee you, nowhere in the Constitution is there anything that says anything about um, political parties. (laughs) it it doesn't it talks about the American people and our government that works for us that's what it talks about we we walked away from that maybe ran away from that through two and a half centuries because now in practice at least we work for the government there is no question we work for the government um I want to get into the uh, oral arguments yesterday at the Supreme Court about this abortion thing. I want to get into the details of it. But before we do, I want to go back to the Omicron thing, uh, the new variant of COVID-19 that was discovered in South Africa and what has happened so far here. Um, I just want to give you a listen to what happened yesterday. I think this is CBS News. 
And uh, they are out there all jolly talking about what Joe Biden's going to do today. He's going to tell us everything that we're going to do to tackle this horror, this new horror, COVID-19 and Omicron. We're going to begin, though, with the news that the Omicron variant has been detected here in America. The first confirmed case of the strain was found in San Francisco in a person who was vaccinated but who has not gotten their booster shot just yet. So far, only 21 percent of eligible adults in this country have been given the booster. That leaves more than 100 million vaccinated people who have not received a booster and may have declining immunity. Nancy Cordes is at the White House with the latest on the government's response. Good morning to you, Nancy. Good morning, Gail. The president is going to be unveiling a new set of policies today designed to help make things a little smoother this winter, a winter that now features this unpredictable new variant. The plans are meant to reduce the transmission of COVID and to bring down the cost of at-home testing. We'll fight this variant with science and speed, not chaos and confusion. Starting early next week, the Biden administration will require all international air travelers to get tested within one day of departure instead of three. It's relatively straightforward. We're prepared to implement it as soon as they want us to implement it. The administration will also extend mask mandates on public transit through mid-March. It'll also launch family vaccination clinics and require health insurers to cover 100 percent of the cost of at-home COVID tests. The new measures come one day after the first case connected to the new variant was detected here in the U.S. The sequence was confirmed at the CDC as being consistent with the Omicron variant. The infected individual lives in San Francisco, but returned from South Africa on November 22nd, just a few days before scientists there revealed the existence of the new variant. The traveler tested positive a week later. The evidence that an individual with Omicron identified by sequencing uh, actually has uh, mild symptoms, is improving, I think is a testimony to the importance of the vaccinations. The CDC has directed airlines to provide the names of any passengers who traveled to the eight Southern African nations near where the variant was first detected within the past 14 days. The California traveler was vaccinated but did not have a booster shot. And U.S. officials are mulling over the possible necessity of an Omicron-specific booster. The administration has been in contact with the pharmaceutical companies to go ahead and take the steps in case we need it. But the mistake people would make is to say, let me wait and see if we get one. If you're eligible for boosting, get boosted right now. All U.S. adults now eligible for a booster if it's been six months since that Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. Now, scientists won't know whether the Omicron-related booster is necessary until they're able to study how responsive the variant is to the current batch of vaccines. The president is slated to announce all these new policies at the National Institutes of Health this afternoon. Did you get all of that? I mean, they made us feel warm and fuzzy about, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this. We're going to do this. We got to, you know, this is another one of those variants. It's going to kill even more Americans. So if you haven't gotten vaccinated, you better get vaccinated. And even if you're vaccinated, you got to get a booster. That person, that one person in San Francisco, they got the Omicron version, had been vaccinated. Uh-oh. Hadn't gotten the booster. 
So even that one thing alone should hack you off. Remember they told us, you get vaxxed, you're going to be fine. And now they're telling us, well, you may not need just one booster. You may need a booster every couple of months. We're not getting facts. And you know why? Because they don't have facts. Or if they do, they're not giving us facts. I'm going to come back to what you just heard after I go to somebody that knows a heck of a lot more about the Omicron variant than anybody over here. That's the woman that discovered it. South African doctor Angelique Coetzee. She's the woman who announced the latest variant of the coronavirus to the world. Guess what she did yesterday? She is blasting the overreaction to the news of this variant. Her statement was published yesterday in the Daily Mail. She points out that new variant, all of them, not just this one, aren't a surprise. Nobody carrying this latest one has even been hospitalized yet. Listen closely to what she said. As chair of the South African Medical Association and a general practitioner of 33 years standing, I've seen a lot over my medical career, but nothing prepared me for the extraordinary global reaction that met my announcement this week that I had seen one young man in my surgery who had a case of COVID that turned out to be the Omicron variant. This version of the virus has been circulating in South Africa for some time, having been previously identified in Botswana. But given my public-facing role, By announcing its presence in my own patient, I unwittingly brought it to global attention. Quite simply, I have been stunned at the response, and especially from Britain. And let me be clear, nothing I've seen about this new variant warrants the extreme action the UK government has taken in response to it. No one here in South Africa is known to have been hospitalized with the Omicron variant, nor is anyone here believed to have fallen seriously ill with it. And she went on to do this. She reiterated the mildness of the variant. Only yesterday, I saw five more patients who tested positive for it. They all had a very mild illness. So at the moment, I'm afraid it seems to me that Britain is merely hyping up the alarm about this variant unnecessarily. Yes, she said, the picture might one day look different, I have yet to see older, unvaxxed people infected with this new variant, for example, and they might well present with a more severe form of the D's at some point. But the reality is that COVID is something we have to learn to live with. Look after yourself, get your vaccines. Above all, don't panic, and that goes for governments as well. And by the way, you know, the story is it's just blanketed those Southern nations, and they named them all out. They included Mozambique. There's not a single case been reported in Mozambique. But, you know, we can't let the facts get in the way of a juicy story because we need to make everybody panic. The panic is real already, and it's not just limited to European countries. Joe Biden banned travel to the U.S. from a number of African countries. Despite the variant also being in the UK, he's not issued a ban on travel from across the pond yet. He also urged Americans 
to start wearing masks again. It's just more insanity piled on top of other insanity over and over and over and over. So what are the symptoms? Has anybody answered that for you? Got to be honest. There's no question. There's a whole much, whole bunch that remains unknown about it. But nations like us have acted quickly to respond, implementing some more very controversial travel restrictions. And of course, there's those mask-wearing guidelines. You know, those masks that Fauci's CDC and National Institutes of Health published 47 different laboratory testings of every known mask on the market today. 47 different ones of them. But they all are published on the CDC website. Not one of them, not one of them that's on the market for sale stops the transmission of COVID-19. Not one. The only one that does is an N95 mask, but not just any N95 mask. It has to be the one that's sealed in and the person wearing it is breathing oxygen, not getting any outside air. The concern on this Omicron thing is that it can evade immune response, apparently, in addition to its transmissibly. Now, that's a supposition. That hasn't even been proven yet. They're throwing it out there. Why? That's great ammunition to scare us more. It's not certain where or when the variant first showed up, although Nigeria's National Public Health Institute said Wednesday it had found a variant in a sample it collected back in October. Fauci, and the story this came from, it actually says this. I'm going to quote a sentence. Dr. Anthony Fauci, America's top infectious disease expert, said much more will be known about Omicron in the next several weeks and that we'll have a much better picture of what the challenge is ahead of us. But what's known so far? Well, again, the WHO, World Health Organization, that's the experts on a world level. They say it could still take some time to get a full understanding of the threat it poses. But the agency says there's no evidence to suggest that symptoms linked to Omicron are different from those caused by other variants. There's currently no information to suggest that symptoms associated with Omicron are different from those with other variants. Well, then why are we acting? Why are we doing what Fauci and others are doing? Running down the street, hands over their faces, screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, shut the nation down again. And that's what Joe Biden's trying to do again. And that's what he's going to instigate it again. When the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals popped him for the uh, vaccine mandates, and the other court popped him for the other one, you know, the one for, first of all, employ employers that have 100 employees or more, got to get them vaxxed. That one was popped by a couple of federal courts and appeal courts. And then Biden's on health care workers. His on the health care workers. That's being popped by a federal court. Let me tell you what I think. And I am, in this particular one, a conspiracy theorist. Don't have any facts to back it up, but I've got a lot of water under the bridge to reference when I say what I'm going to say. 
I think this is a ploy, not the variant. Just like I don't think COVID-19 is a ploy. I think it's a real disease. It can be deadly and it can kill people and does. Maybe the Omicron is the same kind of thing. We need to be cautious. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think all of this craziness the last three days has come from the fact that Joe Biden has seen federal judges push back in his face his vaccine mandates. And the end goal, I don't know why it is, I don't know who put it together, but it becomes more and more obvious, the end expected and wanted and desperate to get to by those who are putting this all together is to get everybody in this nation vaccinated. I think what they did when they did the vaccine vaccine mandates was to scare us to death. I think Biden's folks, I don't think he did, but I think whoever's handling him or working with them, I think they knew it was going to be stopped by the courts. And so they knew that if they made it a mandate, pushed it out through OSHA, that everybody or many Americans were going to say, well, it's going to come down. I got to get it done sooner or later, so I'm going to go ahead and get vaccinated. I think this mess about Omicron is exactly the same thing. And that's an opinion. That's an opinion. And we can all have at least one, can't we? (laughs) Humor me. So what am I going to do differently? I'm going to do the same things I do now. I've not had COVID-19. And I am in the category that should be one of those that gets COVID-19 and not only gets it, gets a bad case. I'm 68 years old, so I'm within the demographic. And to further complicate it, I have a lifetime permanent lung situation. It happened as a result of a horrible case of pneumonia that I got in Mexico about 35 years ago, and it killed the cilia in my lungs. That's the little hairs that when we inhale things, bacteria and virus, they sweep it out. I don't have those in my lungs, so I'm prone to when I do ingest some virus or vaccine, uh, excuse me, bacteria, I'm prone to get some respiratory problems. And a couple of times in my life, it has ended up in pneumonia. So I have to be really careful. I've not been any more careful during the COVID stuff than I was before, but I'm careful in those situations. Do I wear a mask? I wear a mask when I go places where I don't want to scare others. I don't wear a mask to protect me because it doesn't. Science tells me it doesn't. But I don't want to propagate fear among people. I'm just not going to go down that road. The person that's fully vaccinated in San Francisco, the one that got first one detected with Comicron, that's that's how you say it, isn't it? C-O-M Comicron. I keep getting it messed up. That person only has mild symptoms, and they are improving, and that person is self-quarantining, no big deal. It is a big deal because it's made national and international news, not about this one particular person, but here's something else we can beat the people and scare them to death and make government bigger and even more powerful than they were before. That's in every country that's dealing with this. And you have the doctor that discovered it saying, what's this insanity? 
about this. The symptoms are mild. She didn't even know two days ago when she said what I just read you, quoted her saying. There wasn't even one person that she knew that had been hospitalized with it. Oh, my gosh. Can we get off of this? (laughs) Can we find something fun or happy to think about or talk about? Yeah, we can do that, but we're not going to do that right now. So President Biden, he's getting us set for whatever and everything. I mean everything. And what you've got to understand is whatever you're afraid of, he's got all the things to cure your fears. He hadn't shared them with us. He hadn't done anything about them, but he says he's got them in his pocket and he's going to turn it all loose. I don't know if you know this or not, um, but we still have a little bit of a problem down at our southern border. What's the problem, Dan? Well, we've had a couple of million people come across that aren't legal. And they're not just from Central America or Mexico. They're from more than 60 different countries. And we know very little about what they're coming in with. So Fauci was in front of uh, the White House press group yesterday. He's missed it. You remember under Trump, he was there every day talking about COVID. That's how he became the COVID guy. Well, he got to yesterday, come talk to them, the media people about Omicron. And he did more of his stuff. He was confronted by Steve Ducey of Fox News about, well, if it's such a big deal about the travelers coming in at our airports from other countries, we're going to make them get tested. And even Americans coming back in, we're going to make everybody get tested. Uh, Why don't we do that for the other people that come into our nation from other countries that we don't know anything about? The world waited breathlessly. The White House press corps got eerily quiet, waiting for the COVID God to respond and give us the facts. Here were Fauci's facts. Well, there's another system in place to take care of that. Next question. We've got a heck of a problem at our southern border, and we don't listen to the people that know what's going on at our southern border. People like Representative Cuellar from Texas, talking about a lot of things, but talking about the laws yesterday on Fox News. Listen to this conversation. Uh, but I am concerned about the uh, the border, as you know, because if you look at the numbers, the numbers are still high. Uh, you know, we haven't talked about it much lately because other issues have come up. But if you look at the numbers, the numbers are still very high uh, coming in through the border. Uh, my understanding that the MPP might be implemented this week, at least in the Laredo area. They're making uh, some movement toward that. Uh, if you have Title 42 and the MPP, do the MPP in a more humane way. Uh, uh, I think uh, that will send a signal uh, that you got to come in the right way into the United States. So the MPP addresses those cases that are adjudicated here in the U.S. versus Mexico? Uh, that is correct. Look, the bottom line is this. Look at reality. Uh, if you have 100 people that ask for uh, asylum and they go before an immigration judge, 88 to 90 percent are going to be rejected. So my question is, why are we letting 100 people in when you should be allowing only 10 to 12 of them uh, into the country? So we got to look at how we can treat the immigrants with dignity and respect. 
But at the end of the day, you got to follow the law. That's the bottom line. You got to follow the law. And if the law says you got to be deported uh, or expelled, then you got to follow the law. Otherwise, why have uh, books uh, or laws on the books if we're not going to follow them? All right. We'll watch it closely. Congressman, um, thank you very much. Good seeing you again. Henry Cuellar of Texas. Henry Cuellar of Texas, a Democrat, a congressman, lives in Texas. Democrats don't like border walls. Democrats don't like border protection. Democrats want people to come into the U.S. willy-nilly. All these people have horrible circumstances. Henry Cuellar, representative from Texas, you heard him just say, why do we have laws? Why have laws if we're not even going to enforce them? That's like they, they tell us, if you don't have borders, you don't have a country. You're just a region. And as of right now, we don't have a border to the south of us. We don't. It's wide open because this administration says we're not going to enforce legally passed immigration laws that Congress passed. What we're going to do is violate our oaths of office, spit at the U.S. Constitution, thumb our noses at the American people. We don't care about the hundreds of thousands of felony, horrible crimes that have been committed over the past five or six years by those coming across the border illegally. It hadn't happened to me or my kids or my sisters or brothers and sisters-in-laws or nieces and nephews, so it hadn't happened to us, so it's okay if it just happens to you. That's what we limit. Let me, t- let me just tell you this. I made this prediction to a friend early this morning. If the Republicans take the House in the midterms, and if the Republicans take the Senate in the midterms, there is no way that they cannot launch immediately a full impeachment process against Joe Biden and remove him from office, along with others in his administration, specifically Castro or Hitler that runs Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. He laughs about it. He says, point blank, we are not going to enforce the laws regarding immigration, period. And they're in office. And this Democrat Congress is letting them stay in office. In fact, they're applauding the law-breaking that's going on. If you're not going to enforce laws, according to Democrat Henry Cuellar, why even have laws? We're going to go back to D.C. after this break. Clarence Thomas, Justice Clarence Thomas, what he had to say, it's kind of dramatic in the hearings yesterday about the Mississippi border regulation law. That and more right after this. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select, dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. 
And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. I think everybody needs to understand this uh, this hearing, this case that's now before the Supreme Court, and uh, they heard oral arguments yesterday. It's about that case blocking um, abortions uh, after so many days of a fetal heartbeat, and it was a mis- it's a Mississippi law, and of course everybody thinks immediately it's going to be Roe v. Wade. It's not about Roe v. Wade. It probably if it gets confirmed and is determined to be okay by the court, um, it will end up impacting Roe v. Wade. But during oral arguments for it, and the case is called Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, uh, yesterday Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas asked a number of questions. And that's very unusual. Typical, Typically, Thomas stays pretty quiet. During one such exchange with U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelogar, Justice Thomas pointed out a number of constitutional amendments that very clearly protect specific rights of Americans. And then he blew everybody's mind. He asked Prelogar, where does abortion fit into those? Here's what he said. If we were talking about the Second Amendment... I know exactly what we're talking about. If we're talking about the Fourth Amendment, I know what we're talking about because it's written. It's there. What specifically is the right here that we're talking about? So the Solicitor General argued the right to abortion is grounded in the liberty component of the 14th Amendment. But she said it also fits elsewhere. It promotes interest in autonomy bodily integrity, liberty, and equality. And I do think that it is specifically the right to abortion here, the right of a woman to be able to control without the state forcing her to continue a pregnancy, whether to carry that baby to term. And it just kept going from there. Interesting. Now, let me just say this. Everybody needs to understand, no matter what happens with this one case, even if it is upheld, the Mississippi law. It's not going to stop abortion. All that Roe v. Wade does, folks, was it makes the determination of the ability to make it okay 
or to make it illegal to get an abortion is going to be held technically at the federal level. If Roe v. Wade ever gets overturned, it's not going to stop abortion. What it will do is put the determination of the legality of abortion back into the control of each of the 50 states, as it was before Roe v. Wade. This uproar, it's not about, it has nothing to do about stopping abortion. It has to do with who really has the authority to determine the outcome of whether or not you're going to have abortions in a particular area, particular state. Justice Thomas, he is known to be very, very pro-life. And also don't think you're going to find out in the next few days, even the next few weeks, even the next few months, how the court's going to handle this. We probably will not hear a result of this before late June, toward the end of this um, this calendar year for the United States Supreme Court. We're going to keep our eyes on it for you, and we'll let you know what comes out of it. It was kind of odd yesterday in D.C. A lot of people were out in front of the uh, Supreme Court, and they were protesting, carrying signs. And one person weighed in on the pro-life side of this, which is kind of unusual. Um, it's a guy named Herb Garrity. He's the executive director of Rehumanize International. Listen to what he said. We're here to represent the pro-life movement. He held up a sign reading, Abortion is Violence. Another in his group held a sign reading, Queer, Atheist, Pro-Life. He said, We're here representing the diversity that is among the pro-life movement. So often I see the pro-abortion side and the mainstream media try to paint the pro-life movement as these old, conservative, Christian, homophobic white men who hate women. We're showing that's not true. We're much more diverse than that, he said, identifying himself as an atheist and secular American who believes our laws should be based on science. And here's what he said. I thought this was interesting. And the science says life begins at conception. He continued, we're hoping to overturn Roe v. Wade. That's what we've been pushing for since the decision came down in 1973. He said, expressing hope that SCOTUS will, in the very least, uphold the Mississippi law that allows states to ban abortion pre-viability. Fifteen weeks. That is not extremist, he said. That's common sense abortion regulation. At 15 weeks, we're talking about children that, you know, not to mention the fact that they're human beings from conception, but at 15 weeks, they look just like babies. They have all their organs. They are developing. We're talking about late-term abortion here in many of these cases. It's beyond egregious that our law allows us to go past the second and third trimesters. It's just not in line with Americans' values. And it's not in line with common sense and the human right to life that we should all share, regardless of religion, faith, lack thereof, political ideology, left-right, he said. This should be something that everyone can get on board with. Wow. You don't hear about that, do you? So how does a nation feel about this? I got to be honest with you. 
I would like to think that a huge majority of the nation is pro-life. But that's not necessarily the case. But what is a fact is a plurality of Americans are opposed to the prospect of federal tax dollars funding abortion. That's from a Rasmussen National Survey. Under current law, no federal funding may be used to pay for abortions. Should the law be changed so that abortions can be paid for by the federal government? That's the question asked in this Rasmussen poll. A plurality, 49%, said no. Law should not be changed, but just short of a third, 30% said yes, they should be changed. Another 21% said they're not sure. Notably, a a plurality, not a majority of Democrats said the law should be changed to allow for taxpayer-funded abortion, 47%. Meanwhile, a plurality of independents, 48% said it should not be. 66% of Republicans said it shouldn't be changed. Additionally, a majority of women specifically, 52% said the law should not be changed to fund abortion at the federal level. The debate over taxpayer-funded abortion, it remains a big point of contention. And it remained so during the process of crafting Biden's radically left reconciliation bill. Senator Joe Manchin, a moderate Democrat, made it clear he would not support a bill that did not include the Hyde Amendment. That's the amendment that gets approved every legislative session of Congress, which prohibits the federal government from funding abortions. It has to be, he said. It has to be. That's dead on arrival if that's gone, he said. The news coincides with the Supreme Court's first day of oral arguments. You just heard about that and you heard Justice Clarence Thomas's views on all of that. Once again, I want to say, even if they upheld, up, uphold the Mississippi law, it's not going to stop abortions. It's going to stop abortions after 15 weeks of viability of a baby in Mississippi, but not nationwide. The Supreme Court would turn those decisions back over to the state governments. And I think, personally, folks, that's where it needs to be. So let's get back into the uh, political controversies of the world. And don't we always have a bunch of them? Many of them just kind of recycle. They'll go away for a few days or weeks, and then they come back around. You remember back in Trump days, you remember that remain in Mexico policy that was put in place? And for those of you that may not remember what it is, it was that policy which meant that everybody comes across the southern border when they're accosted by Border Patrol and they're taken in and they're registered and logged in, and they're here supposedly to uh, make a claim of uh, needing desperation and they want asylum here in the United States, they would register their claim. In other words, Border Patrol would turn them over to specific people in the Border Patrol operation. They would log them down, log their claims, and then those people have to go back into Mexico at a facility put together and managed by the Mexican government They would have to remain there until their court hearing requires those people to show up in court to hear and render the status 
in court of their asylum claims. And so what happened? Well, all of the people that kept coming over here and making asylum claims just because they had been told and it was being done again and again and again during the Biden administration, you just get released into the country. You get a, a peer court notice that tells you that you're going to have to come to court when they reach out for you and just let you go. That's why they were coming. All of a sudden, hey, we're not going to get to stay in the United States, and they quit coming. Well, it went to court, and the court, federal court, told Biden, you can't stop it. You can't stop it legally. No president has the authority to stop that. And then, of course, now of late, Biden's fixing to have to restart it. That's just one thing, one conundrum. But then there's the COVID-19 thing. You remember what started all of the hoo-ha at the beginning of COVID-19? The very first piece of action that was taken by our federal government, what was it? Trump put in a travel ban for people coming from China. Dr. Anthony Fauci, every Democrat in Congress screamed, hollered, it's racist, it's xenophobic. And then what did Joe Biden do just the other day? Travel bans. (laughs) Travel bans. So yesterday in the White House press briefing, Jen Psaki refused to even talk about previous remarks from President Biden when when he was campaigning. He called Donald Trump a xenophobe and a racist. You can't do a travel ban for those people. White House press briefing yesterday. Jen Psaki, she had to face Peter Ducey of Fox News, and he doesn't mind tackling her on any issue, does he? And he did just that about Biden's campaign attack on Donald Trump for the Remain in Mexico policy. And she responded with a whole lot of wisdom and intellectual facts that we should understand the difference between Biden doing it and Trump doing it. Before Joe Biden was president, he Mm -hmm. said that COVID travel restrictions on foreign countries were hysterical xenophobia and fear-mongering. So what changed? Well, I would say first, to put it in full context, Peter, what the president was critical of was the way that the former president put out, I believe, a xenophobic tweet uh, and how he called, what he called the coronavirus uh, and, and who he directed it at. The president has not been critical of travel restrictions. We have put those in place ourselves. We put them in place ourselves in the spring. But no, he does not believe. He believes we should uh, follow the advice of health and medical experts. That's exactly what he did in putting in place these restrictions over the weekend. But when Trump did it, when Trump did it in January of 2020 at the end of that month, those medical experts led by Dr. Anthony Fauci, you can't, there's no need to do that will tell you when it's time. You don't have the intellect. You don't have the power. You're supposed to sit down and shut up and give us the podium to talk. We're the health experts. You know, I think the biggest problem we have in this nation right now is that everything, I don't care what it is, you can take a staple out of a stapler, 
give it to a politician. They'll find some way to weaponize it politically and do two things with it. One, beat up on any political opponent and use that to do it. Or they'll find a way to make money with it. I mean, that's everything that happens in everyday common American life. And I think it's happening more and more and more. And I think they on the left are really enjoying what's happening, what I'm about to explain to you. I think more and more Americans are just turning the knob off. They're shutting down. They're surfing on television and they're not stopping any longer at MSNBC or CNBC or CNN and even skipping Fox News and going over and finding a rerun of the Andy Griffith show. Americans are tired of it. They're tired of people who call themselves leaders that are elected to go to D.C. and lead us. And then when they get there, all they do is find ways to enhance their positions, their power, and their financial status. Seriously, folks. That's exactly what Americans are dealing with. And Americans are growing more tired and more sick of it happening and want it to stop. Everything is politicized. And then after it's politicized, it becomes fodder for an attack on your political opponents. Yesterday, Senator Roger Wicker, Republican from Mississippi, asked an appointee of Joe Biden, Gigi Sohn, who's nominated to head the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission. Wicker asked Sohn about her criticism of conservative media. Sohn, if she's confirmed to become the commissioner of the FCC, is going to have a wide bit of power. She, she's got a, a huge place to govern over or to manage conservative media and other news outlets at will. She co-founded Public Knowledge, which is a leftist nonprofit that's called on cable and satellite the providers there, to censor One America News. Sohn has also called for the Sinclair Broadcasting Group, which is a conservative-owned network of local broadcasters, to be stripped of its license. And here's the killer. She called Fox News dangerous to our democracy and state-sponsored propaganda. I don't know how Fox News could be giving state sponsored propaganda. (laughs) Which state is she talking about? So Representative Wicker from Mississippi, he asked Sohn if she harbors any bias against Fox News and conservative media. She said her comments were made in the context of hearings and media reports, and she admitted her tone was a little sharper than it should be. She then claimed that her comments as a progressive technology advocate would not influence her work as an FCC commissioner. My opinions as a public interest advocate will have no bearing on how I behave as a policy maker, she said. She admitted her commentary against Fox News was too sharp. Senate Republicans have lined up against her, blasting her criticism of conservative media. Lindsey Graham. Republican from South Carolina. He said, Gigi Sohn is a complete political ideologue who has disdain for conservatives 
period. She would be a complete nightmare for the country when it comes to regulating the public airwaves. John Thune, senator from uh, South Dakota, is a Republican. He said, she's very left. She's going to be a heavy hand in regulations. The fact that Joe Biden would put someone up with this history, this very speckled and never hidden, never even attempted to be hidden, political slant against conservatives, and he wants her to serve as a commissioner on the Federal Communications Commission where people are supposed to work and work for the American people, not for just a little bitty part or even a big part of the people, all the people. And this has become the normal in this administration. This is not abnormal, folks. It happens every day. And Americans, and many people in Congress even, are just getting sick of it. Jim Jordan, Republican from Ohio, he's one of those that obviously is very vocal about how angry he is at what he see is playing out. So he was on Fox News, Mornings with Maria, Maria Bartiromo. And this interview was in reaction to Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell saying, it's time to stop using the word transitory to describe this rising inflation that you and I are facing every day when we drive down the road or go to the grocery store, even a C-store, to grab an Icy or a gallon or two of gasoline. Jordan said that nobody believes what the Biden administration says now. He pointed to the administration claiming the border was and is secure. They do that every day that there wouldn't be a vaccine mandate and that the Afghanistan withdrawal was a success. Nobody believes what the Biden administration says, Jordan declared. I mean, they've told us the border's secure. They told us they wouldn't impose a vaccine mandate. They actually told us that the exit from Afghanistan was a success. So no one believed them when they said this was a transitory thing because we see, everyone knows that if you want to buy anything, it's going to cost you more. You want to buy a new home? It's going to cost more. You want to rent an apartment? It's going to cost more. You want to buy food to put on the table? It costs more. To put gas in your car? It costs more. For Christmas presents? It costs more. This is how bad the Biden economy is. So nobody believed what they said. What the Fed chairman said yesterday is unfortunately, I think, now this is Jim Jordan, the facts We're going to have to live with this for a while unless they quit the crazy spending, which they show no indication of wanting to do. There's a poll out in response to what Jim Jordan said about Americans' approval of Joe Biden. He only has a 36% approval rating. That's according to a new Trafalgar Group poll released yesterday. It showed that 52% of Americans strongly disapprove of Biden, while 6.9% merely disapproved of his job performance. Only 4.6% had no opinion of Biden. 1,082 likely voters were polled between November 26th and 29th. It shows Biden at a lower approval rating than Rasmussen reports, who released a poll showing 43% approved of his job Performance. A Quinnipiac poll of registered voters released in November also showed Biden with only a 38% approval rating. 
We just don't believe him. And folks, we have a lot of reason to not believe Joe Biden because we're not getting the truth. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell and Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them. Someone they can trust. Someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell and Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell and Cordell, a partner men can count on. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yep, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Price of participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Have you kept up with what's going on over at CNN? Chris Cuomo, their star at nighttime, Chris Cuomo, um, he has not been, been bounced yet for what he did regarding protecting his brother and actually uh, getting involved in finding information and getting information that was upcoming regarding the investigation into former Governor Andrew Cuomo and his sexual exploits as govern, governor. Um, Cuomo has been sidelined, put on temporary um, suspension. Don't know what that means yet. Anyway, he went live and he um, he talked to his people and he said a few things that I thought we would share with you. He said it hurts to even say it. It's embarrassing, but I understand it and I understand why some people feel that way that they do about what I've done. I've apologized in the past and I meant it. Cuomo stated during his serious XM radio program yesterday. It's the last thing I ever wanted to do was compromise any of my colleagues and do anything but help. I know they have a process that they think is important. I respect that process, so I'm not going to talk about this anymore. On Tuesday, CNN announced that documents published by New York's Attorney General showed that Cuomo had more involvement in his brother's campaign that network executives were previously aware of, and thus they pulled him off the air. The New York AG's office released transcripts and exhibits on Monday that shed new light on Chris's involvement in his brother's defense. This is CNN. The documents, which were not privy to before the public release, raised serious questions. When Chris admitted to us that he had offered advice to his brother's staff, he broke our rules. We acknowledged that publicly. But we also appreciate the unique position he was in and understood his need to put family first and job second. However, they said, 
these documents point to a greater level of involvement in his brother's efforts than we previously knew. As a result, we've suspended Chris indefinitely pending further evaluation. So what did he do? He pressed sources for information on his brother's accusers, those women that came forward and said he had sexually harassed and in some cases sexually abused them. And then he reported that, Chris did, back to the governor's staff and was active in helping craft their response to the charges. This is according to emails and a transcript of his testimony to investigators who are working for State Attorney General Letitia James. Her office alleges Cuomo sexually harassed at least 11 women. Cuomo previously acknowledged talking to his brother and offering an advice when the governor faced harassment charges, but the information released Monday showed more, more, far more details, including allegations that he was digging for dirt on the women accusing his brother. And just so you don't forget it, Andrew Cuomo, the governor, resigned in August to avoid likely impeachment by the legislature in New York State. We can't finish the day without talking about what happened up in Michigan a couple of days ago. That horrendous shooting and the killing of three, now four, now four people who died at the hands of this 15-year-old boy, Ethan Crumley. He is accused of opening fire at his Michigan high school, pled not guilty yesterday to one count of terrorism causing death, four counts of first-degree murder, seven counts of assault with intent to murder, and 12 counts of possession of a firearm in the commission of a felony. He's just a sophomore. He's being charged as an adult. He allegedly fired more than 30 rounds in the hallway of Oxford High School Tuesday just before 1 p.m. He killed four students, wounded seven others, including a teacher. He appeared in Oakland County Court by video yesterday, slumped over in a vest, white mask, wearing glasses. An assistant prosecuting attorney in Oakland County told the judge, Nancy Cornyak, that he doesn't have the words to describe how horrific the surveillance video of the shooting is. He methodically and deliberately walked down a hallway, aimed the firearm at students, and fired. After children started running away from the defendant, he continued down the hallway again at a deliberate, methodical pace, pointing and aiming inside classrooms and at students who hadn't had the opportunity to escape. The judge ordered Crumley to be held without bond, transferred to Oakland County Jail, where he's going to be separated from adults. Lieutenant Tim Willis told the judge that Crumley recorded videos on his phone the night before the incident in which he talked about shooting and killing students the next day at Oxford High School. Further, a journal was recovered from Ethan's backpack also detailing his desire to shoot up a school to include murdering students. And here's one of the, there's so many ironies, so many horrors that happened here. A kid named Dake Meyer, who's a standout football player for the Wildcats football team at Michigan's Oxford High School, was fatally shot by Crumley 
Three died immediately after the shooting on Tuesday. A fourth died yesterday. The school's football team mourned the loss of this football star, a running back. Meyer was already in the midst of looking for colleges, recently visited the University of Toledo on a recruitment trip. The teen acknowledged the college visit only days before he died. Friends of him launched a change.org petition to have the school stadium renamed after Meyer. The petition recounts Tate's efforts to disarm the killer and added, Tate is not just a hero to his fellow students at Oxford High School, but he's a legend. His act of bravery should be remembered forever and passed down through generations. He put his life in danger to try and help the thousands of other students at Oxford High School on Tuesday. It's just hard to believe this kind of stuff happens, and it's happening today. Wow. We're going to end on that note, folks. That's a sad one. Greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for a friend, and that's what Meyer did. Our hats off to him and his family. Don't forget, we're going to finish the week together tomorrow, 9 to 11 a.m., 9 o'clock sharp central at Truth News Network, TNN Live, truthnewsnet.org. See you then. You don't have to say a word. I can see it in your eyes. I know what you want to say. It's so hard to say goodbye. I can hold back my tears and try to be strong while our love is falling apart. I know what I'll say if you walk away, but what do I do? What do I do with my
I do 